Welcome into the latest edition of Catfish Corner, the Tennessean's Predators podcast. I am Adam Vingan, Predators reporter for the USA Today Network. Tennessee joined, usually, as always, by our columnist, Joe Rexroad, who is just finishing up a delicious salad that I made for him. Joe, how's my, <laughs> how's my salad making skill? How are my salad making skills? Really good. You know, most people wouldn't put that many olives in but you you really went overboard on the olives but you can't go overboard on olives that's the thing if someone asks for olives they want as many olives they can possibly have in a salad i take direction excellent work so you wanted this you wanted a salad like that and they made you a salad like that but we're here not to talk about our (laughs) i don't know where we go from there culinary exploits but to talk about the nashville predators who i think forget i guess for the past several weeks to you know couple months, we started every podcast by talking about the fact that they keep winning, which is what they keep doing. The Predators swept their latest road trip uh, to Arizona, Colorado, and Buffalo. Uh, the win in Buffalo, a 4 nothing victory uh, on Monday, uh, continued to rack up franchise records. Whoever's in charge of the Predators franchise record book you know, has had a lot of work to do uh, this season. Now, their overall point streak is now at 15 games, which is a franchise record. Their road point streak is at 15 games, which is a franchise record. They've won nine consecutive road games, which is a franchise record. And, of course, as we usually talk about Pecorine at some point on this podcast, his shutout against the Sabres was the, was the eighth of his, of his season, which is a career high. Uh, his 11th consecutive victory, which ties a career high for him. Uh, he became the seventh goaltender in NHL history to win 40 games in three separate seasons, and he did it this year in 53 games, which is the second fastest in NHL history behind Braden Holpe, who did it in 52 for the Washington Capitals, I believe, either last year or the year before. So lots of records I just spouted off, but that's wow. what the Predators are doing right now. They just keep they keep winning and they keep breaking their own records, but they clinched a playoff spot against the Colorado Avalanche last week. They're at 10 games remaining in the season, so this is a time where they want to be able to work on things in sort of a pressure-free environment. They still have their sights set on winning the Central Division, which they should do based on how many points ahead they are of the Winnipeg Jets. They're looking at the President's Trophy. The Tampa Bay Lightning continue to hover around that as well. But there are certain aspects of their game that they would like to correct. Uh, They would like to make sure that their power play is working at full capacity. It's been hit or miss lately. Uh, They'd like to make sure that they're playing with a lead, which they've done through most of the season. But if you look at these road games, a lot of them, Buffalo notwithstanding, they've trailed in a lot of those games and had to come back to win, which speaks to the resiliency, but also says that maybe they would like to play with a lead and get up like they did in Buffalo and continue to build on it instead of having to play from behind. But, Joe, 10 games left in the regular season, starting with Thursday's game at Bridgestone Arena against the Toronto Maple Leafs. What would you like to see the Predators accomplish most from how they play their game in the last 10 games before the playoffs start on April 11th? Well, even when the in the Buffalo game, Adam, you're right, they didn't trail, but they could have. I mean, that was a that was an earned shutout for Pecorino. It was. You, yeah, they, you know better than me. You were there, but I thought that he was under siege a lot of that Especially in the second period. They, players and Peter Laviolette pointed to the second period. Peter said succinctly, we won on the scoreboard, but we didn't, wear any, didn't win anywhere else in terms of the chances they allowed and you know, Pecorino had to make some great saves. He had to make one like right off the hop in the first 20 seconds, a lot of uh, those high-quality scoring chances. But that is one area I think they should improve on is that net front defense. It hasn't gotten better this season. It's actually gotten slightly worse, if you, if you believe uh, those who are more statistically inclined than we are. Uh, but you know, Pecorino has been able to 
uh, fix that by making such great saves. But again, to your point, it was an, er, definitely an earned shutout for him on on Monday. Yeah, so I like I. It's a dominant stretch of results. I I think they've played more dominant hockey at times than they are right now, if that makes sense. Yes. So, to your point, I mean, I think the power play, that's something you want brushed up. We were just at practice today. That's what they did a lot of work on, Mm -hmm. on the power play. And... You know, it's. I mean, you've got the maintenance days going, so you're you're changing things up, and you have to keep that in mind. I mean, ultimately, the confidence they have that they can overcome whatever happens in a game, and that ultimately they are better than you. I mean, that's you know that's something that I think trumps a lot of things. But they can play better, so um, I think it's it's also really important to go after what's still in front of them in the regular season. I mean, home ice, if you can go into any series knowing that you would get a decisive Game 7 at home, I think that's absolutely worth doing. The President's Cup, yes, you want the President's Cup. Not everybody who wins the President's Cup wins the any win the Stanley Cup, but right. but they do more than anyone else. Right. <laughs> you know? It's been about <laughs> I think it's been about ten years since a President's Trophy winner won the Stanley Cup in a full eighty two game season. I think the Red Wings in two thousand seven, two thousand eight may have been the last team to do so. The Chicago Blackhawks, who are officially eliminated from playoff contention, by the way, for the first time in ten years. Uh, they won the Stanley Cup when they won the President's Trophy during the lockout shortened season. But if you're looking at 82 games, it's been about a decade since a President's Trophy winning team uh, yeah. won the Stanley Cup. But the Capitals are all over that, and that's right. a totally different... <laughs> yes. Right? They've I mean. won the last two, and they lost in the second round to the Penguins both times. But that is old hat for those who understand the inner workings of the Washington Capitals. but As you do. As and I thank do. you, President's Trophy. Thank yes. you, by the President's way. President's Trophy. Cup. It's, they all run together. What, was the, what were we talking about at President's Commissioner's the Cup? The Commissioner's Cup, which what, is actually what in the a, world is that? That's a PBA award. I looked it up. Really? Uh, yes. So if you're the best bowler, I believe you win the Commissioner's Cup. I, I, I am not a great bowler. Why was know. that brought up at practice today? I don't remember. But <laughs> it was the, the Commissioner's Cup... Uh, you know, if you're into professional bowling, which I can't say I've ever watched, even though it's on like ESPN two at, at pretty good times, you know, Sunday at 11 a.m. before NFL Live starts or something like that, or during the NFL offseason, you can watch PBA on ESPN two or ESPN three or ESPN eight. Which don't, you know, don't get Munsoned. Yes, but uh, we need to talk about the playoffs because you know the, pro- the hockey players are genetically. Uh, you know, programmed not to look more than a day ahead at a time, but we don't have to do that. Now, the playoffs start in about three weeks. April 11th is the first day of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That doesn't mean that the Predators are going to play on April 11th, but that's the first possible day of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Please do not ask me when the schedule comes out. I do not know yet. Um, but Tweet we, at him every day. <laughs> but we need to talk about best and worst case scenario first round playoff opponents. Now, we'll get to, we'll start with best. We do agree on the worst, yeah. the Anaheim Ducks. I mean, I think everyone should agree on. Yes, that, and right? we'll get, and then we'll get to the second worst case scenario. Then, but we'll start with the best. So, as of right now, you know, if you believe the percentages that are given out on the SportsClubStats.com website, which is one I've regularly used for years to track this sort of thing at this time of the year, the three, their three likeliest first round opponents are the St. Louis Blues, who are actually not in the playoffs right now the Anaheim Ducks, and the Colorado Avalanche. I am of the mind that their best-case scenario playoff opponent is actually another team that woke up today 
on the outside of the playoff picture, the Dallas Stars, who lost, I believe, now six consecutive games after they lost to the Capitals last night. I think they're the best-case scenario playoff opponent. One, because they are struggling down the stretch. Two, a lot of their big-name off-season acquisitions are hurt. Mark Mathot has been limited to less than 30 games this season. Martin Hansel is out for the rest of the season after having back surgery, and he's always been injury-prone throughout his career. Ben Bishop probably the most critical of those off-season acquisitions, is out for at least two weeks after re-injuring a knee that he recently missed time to recuperate from anyway. Dallas is a more structured team this year than they have been in past years with Ken Hitchcock as their coach, but they still do have a lot of offensive firepower, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, Alex Radulov, but I think the Predators are a much more well-rounded group. So when you tie all of those things together, I think the Stars are the Predators' best-case first-round opponent in terms of I don't want to say easy because, as we know, in the prayers exemplified last year, no low seed in the Stanley Cup playoffs is an easy out. But I think the Predators match up best against the Stars based on all of those things. So that's my rationale. Who is your best-case scenario first-round opponent and why? Yeah, I mean, I will throw Colorado okay. as the other one, too. I agree with everything you just said about Dallas. I think... And Colorado, I just look. I, they're just they're not ready to beat the Predators in a playoff series. That, they've that, lost that's, ten. That's they've lost ten rationale. consecutive games to the Predators. They haven't beaten the Predators in two seasons. Now, of course, you think about that, and you think about you know last year in the Blackhawks, like how the Predators can't get over the you know the mental block of you know the Blackhawks always pull something out of their hat, but it's not like that. They just pretty much own the Az right now, and, and I, I just think they would be fine and would probably get out in five games. So either one of those sounds great. Anaheim. When you compare it to Anaheim or the Kings, you know, you're thinking about what you will do to yourself as you move forward. Yes. We know Anaheim. There's a lot of things and there. And the Kings are similar. But the Kings, yeah, and it would be physical, tough, and also, again, it's the travel. You just if, if you're looking at Winnipeg in the second round, which seems crazy to me, but that's reality. Yes. Then you just you really you really need to not have a grueling travel heavy first round. I mean, it certainly helped them last year. Thinking about not just the fact that they usually finish their series fairly quickly, but you know, they swept Chicago, and then they had a week more more than a week, I think, between the end of that series and the beginning of the one against St. Louis. But Chicago's a quick flight. St. Louis is a quick flight. They had, and then you you did the travel to Anaheim, and then you and had, they lost the next series. By the way, yes. Then you had a week to sit before the Stanley Cup final. But of course, you know, being the easternmost team in the Western Conference, getting to Pittsburgh isn't uh, too difficult. But I agree with that. I mean, we both agree that that that's the worst case scenario. I think is Anaheim, and then I guess by extension, L.A. You know, L.A. You know has shares a lot of similar qualities as Anaheim. Um, they are physical. They do have a lot of skill. Uh, Jeff Carter's back after missing you know, a long stretch of the season due to injury. Andre Kopitar is an MVP candidate. I know Dustin Brown has had a career resurgence. And then, of course, when you have Jonathan Quick in net, you never know what can happen. He has proven to be a stellar playoff goalie in the past. I honestly would put the Blues in that conversation, too, as the worst-case yeah, scenario. Yeah, I'd put them on the worst, too. Because, not just because we know what those series are like, but the Blues this year remind me of the Predators last year. And I wrote that in, in the Tennessee, and I believe yesterday. You know, the Predators backed into the playoffs last year. Nobody thought they were going to have a chance against the Blackhawks, and they and they dominated them. The the St. Louis Blues have had a rough go of it the last several months. The fact that they lost six consecutive games leading into the trade deadline, 
their general manager, Doug Armstrong, decided that they were going to trade Paul Stastny to the Winnipeg Jets. Kind of looked like a white flag. They haven't really gotten better since then. And we thought that a year ago, too, by the way. Yeah, we thought that a year ago with Shattenkirk, and they they were really good without him. Like the Predators cannot disregard the St. Louis Blues. The Blues, in the way that they're kind of scuffling down the stretch, in some ways remind me of the Predators last year. The Predators know what the Blues are capable of. I don't think that would be a good first-round series just based on that. The Predators don't want to happen to them what they did to Chicago last year. So I think that's a worst-case scenario. To your point about best case with Colorado, as I mentioned, the, the Avalanche have lost 10 consecutive games to the Predators. They haven't beaten them since April of 2016. You know, Nathan McKinnon is an MVP candidate, maybe my MVP vote. You know, his line with uh, Gabriel Landeskog and Miko Rantanen is fantastic, um, and it would be a nightmare to contain over the course of a seven-game series. Colin Wilson would probably score 12 goals, <laughs> um, but I don't think PCW. that— But going from a 48-point season last year to the playoffs, that's and they're one of the youngest teams in the NHL. To your point, that's a giant leap to go from a 48-point season— where you're the worst team by a significant margin to making the playoffs and beating an experienced team like Nashville. That just seems like too much of a year-to-year leap. So I would I would include Colorado as maybe my second best case scenario, but I still, you know, I still think Dallas might be slightly above, but those two could probably flip-flop. Speaking of those three, uh that that line in Colorado, when they when the Predators played the Avalanche uh last week, you know, the the McKinnon, Landeskog, Ranton line went head to head with the Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson line. You know that is something that the Predators look to do. Uh, they those three, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson, like going head to head with the top competition. And I think I agree with Philip Forsberg who, when I asked him about it after that game. That if you want to be considered one of the best lines in the league, you can't just pile up points. You have to be able to shut down other lines too. So Peter Laviolette has the option to use more checking lines, quote-unquote, against those lines like Nick Bonino's line or Colton Sisson's, Mike Fisher, what have you. But he likes that best on best. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is we, I'd like to talk about Ryan Johansson. So we're at the point of the season where you know, we, you kind of see what you're going to get from Ryan Johansson during the regular season. He's been much better over the past 25 games in terms of collecting points. But the question I have, and I think some fans are thinking this too, when the Predators gave Ryan Johansson $64 million, a $64 million contract last July, the expectations for him just rose exponentially. I was looking at capfriendly.com, and I have it up here on my phone. This year, there are 16 forwards in the NHL with a cap hit of at least $8 million. 16. Ryan Johansson, in terms of points, if I can skim this correctly, is 14th out of 16. The other two below him are Corey Perry of the Anaheim Ducks and Joe Thornton of the San Jose Sharks. But Joe Thornton has been plagued by injury this season and hasn't played a lot. And so, so is Corey Perry. Yeah. So effectively, Ryan Johansson, in terms of players who have played full seasons, is the lowest among them. Now, when you look at that, you know, he's in the 45, 46 point range for an $8 million player. Just based on that, it's not good enough. But there are other things that Ryan Johansson does matching up against top lines is one of them. He wants to be considered a good two-way center. Uh, and we're starting to see what I, I mentioned. We mentioned Colin Wilson before. I've sort of taken the playoff nickname from Colin Wilson and given it to Ryan Johansson because we saw how Ryan Johansson played in the playoffs last year. If you're looking at Ryan Johansson's season as is, would you say that he's meeting expectations, barely meeting, ex- meeting expectations, barely meeting expectations, or underwhelming? Which one would you characterize Ryan Johansson as? Well, 
I, I, I hate to, you know, dodge this question, but it, it, to me, it's all about what happens this spring. That's fair. I mean, look, if he, if Ryan Johansson is what he was in the playoffs before he got hurt last year, thirteen points he, in fourteen he, games. Yes, he, he made it, and, and not just that, but just the way he played. He was physically dominant. Yes. Um, Which he should be for a guy of his size, and yeah, and no. So look, so I would say he's. I would say right now, this regular season, no, it's absolutely, it's not eight million dollar production. Um, how he plays, you know, look, I, I mean, I, I think he struggled a lot of this year to find the right balance of looking for his own shot, and he's he's a fantastic setup man. But again, he he will determine that in the playoffs. I think that's fair, based on how they do and how much of a hand he has in it. And to me, the, the, those things are pretty positively tied together. Yes. Um, you can't, there's a lot of important players in this team, but he's right near the top. And like you said, I think you're seeing more of what you want to see from him in the playoffs now. I think yes. he's gearing up for that. But as you move forward, yeah, you, I think Ryan Johansson is a guy who should be right around 20 goals and should be, you know, beyond 60 points and, and then if he is a good two-way center, and if he and if he steps up at the most important time of the year, then it was a good investment. I, I would agree with that. I believe his goal against Buffalo was his 34th goal as a member of the Predators. Now, the reason why I bring that number up was his career high, single-season career high, yeah. was 33 in Columbus several years ago. So he just now scored as many goals, more goals for the Predators than he did in one season in his major breakout season. It's hard to Columbus imagine. Blue Jackets. Like, it's, it's hard for me to imagine you know, when you watch him play regularly, him being a 33-goal scorer. Right. But I'm sure if you look Different at the, his, his statistics, life. if you dive deep into them, shooting percentage and things like that, perhaps you I, – I don't know them off the top of my head, but maybe he was shooting over you know his head a little bit. I remember writing a story about that near the beginning of the season, around the time that Kyle Turris joined the fold, and I talked to Nick Foligno, who's the captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who played on that line – played on the line with Ryan Johansson and actually Scott Hartnell – in that year in Columbus. And I remember Nick being very, you know, he's a very eloquent interview saying that he feels that there are times where Ryan gets himself in trouble by not taking the shots because he doesn't, he wants to look for other people. But I think that's what you would, anyone would say about Ryan Johansson is sometimes it pays to be a little selfish. If you have the shot, take it. If it's a good shot. I mean, if you feel like, okay, if I take the shot, it goes off the goalie's leg pads and kicks out right to Philip Forsberg. That's a great assist. And that's a great assist. But sometimes the shots, are the best assists are shots and rebounds. And I think you're seeing that more from Ryan Johansson now. I feel like he's being, I think he's calling his number a little bit more now in the past several weeks than he has in the beginning of the season, which is a good sign. He's crashing the net. He's using his physicality, as you mentioned. And I would agree Joe, that really what happens in the playoffs ultimately makes whether or not the contract was a good or a bad one. But before we get out of here, I want to touch on one more thing that could be happening in the next couple of days. If you want to migrate over to Europe for a minute, the KHL playoffs are in their second round. Uh, Ellie Tolvanen's team, Jokerit, is down three games to one in the best of seven series. Game five is Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday. If his team loses, he's out and then free to sign with the Predators. That is the expectation that he's going to come over here. That's the collective goal of both Tolvanen and his representation and the Predators to get him over here. Wouldn't really require much because there are rigid rules about contracts for players like Tolvanen. It would be a three-year entry-level contract. You know, his maximum salary, base salary, and, and signing bonuses would be equivalent to with the highest it could get 
if I remember off the top of my head, is $925,000. But of course, and then there are performance bonuses that you can add on to that. So it doesn't really require much negotiation. But we've talked about this before, about Tolvanen, that it's important to know that he's not going to supplant the Predators' top forwards. If he, come, if he comes over as expected, he's here to complement them. He's going to add an element to what they already have in terms of their great depth, and they need that after Cal Yarncroke suffered an upper body injury against Winnipeg last week that will keep him out through at least the remainder of the regular season. So I was asked this in my mailbag over the weekend, and I'd be curious for your take. You know, All things aside, how would you slot the Predators lineup with Ellie Tolvin in it? Let's, well, let's be more specific. What line would you put him on, and who would you play him with? if he were to make his debut as expected at some point in the coming weeks? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, to me, you, you don't mess with the top two lines. I would agree with that. And then after that, I mean, I get, I, I think I'd put him somewhere on that third line. Okay. I mean, I think the fourth line looks pretty strong right now. The Sissons-Watson-Fisher Fisher. connection, yeah. I mean, so I that, feel like that's a nice, really nice fourth line. So You're sort of earmarking him for the third line at this point, which I would agree with, with – uh, I, I I remember answering that question in my mailbag by saying Benino. I would put him on Benino's line with Ryan Hartman. There, I feel like that could have that HBK thing going on. And of course, the common denominator being Nick Benino, but he had Carl Hagelin and Phil Kessel with him. Yeah. You know, Tolvanen is a Kessel-like player, is a sniper who is a great shot, and Hartman, you know, has shown to be a great addition to this team in the several weeks that he's been here. I think that would be a great connection. But I feel like one thing that fans, when I as I listen, as I read and listen to fans have these conversations on social media or elsewhere about Tolvanen. I, I, I think the main thing that people bring up is, you know, why, you know, why rush him into this? You know, why put him in a situation where he's going to have to learn on the fly at a very important time of the year? But I think, again, it's important to just temper expectations. You know, don't expect him to score 15 goals, playoffs or regular season or otherwise. But if he can chip in, he'd be a great addition to the power play with his savviness with the puck and his vision, as you saw when you covered games of his at the Winter Olympics. I don't think he needs to replace anyone on those top two lines. One, because the Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson line, those three players are nowhere near as productive when they're not together as a unit. And the Fiala, Turris, Smith line has been fantastic for the last, you know, really since November, but especially lately in that game against Arizona last week, they were unbelievable, the three of them. And you don't want to mess with that chemistry. So I think a line, putting him in the bottom six to start would be good. But I don't think, you know, I don't think it's a problem for him to get his feet wet at this time of the year. He's, I don't think he would be an everyday player either. Like, I don't, you know, they'll have that maintenance rotation thing going on, I'm sure. And if they play a skilled series, you know, against Dallas, for example, or Colorado, I think he would be a great fit. But if they're playing Anaheim, they're playing L.A., they're playing St. Louis, you need those heavier bodies in there. Might so. need more of a, a Salamaki Yes, a Mika Salamaki there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. more of the... Austin Watson, Mika Salamaki type series, similarly to last year, like with Cody McLeod and Vernon Fiddler, you know, both having big series against the Blues and then onto the Ducks. But I think that's just an important thing to to understand is that nobody's expecting Ellie Tolvanen, at least I hope nobody's expecting Ellie Tolvanen, to come over here and be the savior of this franchise. He's not going to win the Conn Smythe Trophy if this team wins the Stanley Cup. But he's, it does not hurt to have a guy who just had 30-plus points in the KHL as an 18-year-old on your third line. It just speaks to the depth that this team has come up with. And, 
you know, as, as we were sitting in practice today, the the Bovada at the updated odds came out. The Predators are now the favorite at betting favorite in Vegas to win the Stanley Cup at fifteen to four. Those are some pretty good odds, and the reason why, other than the fact that they don't lose in regulation anymore, apparently, is because you know they have so many good players. I mean, think about. I think they have fourteen, maybe. 10 goal scorers on this team, which leads the league. They're getting it from everywhere. They're getting it from the defense. They're getting it from the forwards. You know, Pecorine, as we've talked about ad nauseum, is just having an incredible season. And I wrote in my story uh, the other day that, you know, the general managers are in, at, in Boca Raton right now talking about goalie interference and offside challenges and whatnot. Just get the vote for the Vezina over <laughs> with. You are there. You're there together already. Just just agree to vote for Pecorine and be done with it. I mean, he really deserves it. I mean, and I and I don't want to sound like I'm a homer here, but I I want, and I don't think people who have followed my work for the past several years would accuse me of that. But I do believe that Pecorine deserves this award. I really do. Um, oh yeah, that's that's a, a no brainer. I, I really I think the most interesting stat that I came up with and was able to find out yesterday. Um, after the game or two days ago after the game against Buffalo was that his qual- so you know there's an advanced statistic called quality start percentage essentially starts where a goalie gives his team the best chance to win nearly 70% of his starts this season have been quality starts which not only leads the league it's actually the highest total among goaltenders in the NHL since in the past 4 years uh, to be exact it's 69.8 Carey Price when he won the uh when he won the Hart Trophy in 2015 his was under 60% you know, Pecor- oh, so now you're, you're you're I'm not I'm not getting on the Pecorine for hard train here. But if he sounds conti- like it a little bit. But I I will say this. I will I will make this concession. If Pecorine just doesn't lose his rest of his starts for the rest of the season, he's at an eleven game winning streak right now. The NHL record for longest winning streak by a goaltender is seventeen. If he breaks that record or ties it and continues to play this way through the rest of the season, I will give him a Hart Trophy vote. It won't be a number one pl- vote, but it could be a fourth or fifth place vote. I do think if he's able to play like this and st- remain undefeated through the rest of the regular season, he deserves a vote for the MVP. But I, that that may be the only way I'm, I'm convinced to do that. But, I mean, do you think he should be an MVP dark horse candidate? Yeah, I mean, I guess dark horse, but we've talked about this. I mean, it's, this is a very balanced excellent team throughout and, and he is he is its mvp of course ryan johansson admitted as much after the game in buffalo said he's yeah. our mvp you know, there's no question that he's this team's mvp but that award very rarely goes to a goaltender and and i i think i've made the analogy before about the cy young yes. and the mvp in baseball sometimes a pitcher will also get mvp but it, it takes an extreme circumstance and to me the circumstance would be a team that if you took the goal tender out of there they would be a bad it'd be a subpar team and 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 he is essentially or you know they wouldn't be anywhere near what they are I think if you had UC Soros and this team it'd still be a comfortable playoff team yeah and there are statistics that you can use to measure that I did it before the Buffalo game it's called point shares and Pecorino's point share which means essentially the number of points that he's given to the Predators through his playing goal is about 12. If he took 12 points off, at least at the time, if he took 12 points off the Predators now, they wouldn't be running away with the Central Division, but they would still be the top in the top three or four of the Western Conference. Right. So they're, you know, he, he has elevated them to the status that they are at. But without him, they are not missing the playoffs. They're not fighting for their playoff lives. They're still probably a second or third place team in the, in the Central Division. 
I mean, Connor Hellebuck, for example, of Winnipeg is up there too. The Jets would be in the same position. So. And the, the one thing where he will get knocked, and I, again, I think by now it should be obvious that he's the Vezina winner, but people look at the defense core and say, well, let's not forget. I mean, they, they have the best defense core in the league, which is true, but to me they're the best defense core in the league because of what they do offensively. Yes. So, again, we just talked about the Buffalo game. There are tighter checking teams out there right. than the Predators. So I think you have to keep that in mind. When you talk about quality of defensemen, it's because they have such incredible two-way defensemen who trigger the attack. Yes. And that should not at all count against him. Right. And as you know, Andrew Berkshire of Sportsnet, who has access to this great statistical program called Sport Logic, you know, wrote an article last week. You know that the high quality danger, the high danger quality, you know, scoring chances and passes through the slot have actually increased for the prayer this season. So in terms of that area right in front of the crease, they've actually gotten worse at defending it. And he still has one of the best high quality scoring chance, uh, save per- high quality save percentages in the NHL. But anyway, we could talk about Pecorine all day long. We usually do. Uh, this wraps up the latest edition of Catfish Corner. I'm Adam Vingan. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Joe Rexroad at Joe Rexroad. And by this time next week, perhaps we'll be talking about Ellie Tolvanen maybe getting ready or having already made his NHL debut. We'll be closer to the playoffs. We'll have a clearer picture of who the Predators might face when the opening round starts next month. And I'm sure we'll maybe maybe they'll lose a game by then. Maybe we'll actually have a loss to talk about. What but a novel idea. What a novel idea. But thank you for listening. Continue to follow our work at Tennessean.com. <laughs>